Well, it's a, it's a privilege to be with you. Bring you a good report from Jeff Felix, Kevin Bossler, Chris Halawathy, Yost Nixon. You know, they're a little ragged around the edges right now, but they're not the worst for the wear. They're doing quite well in seminary. I know some of you are concerned about them. Uh, they're doing quite well, actually. I want to thank all of you who participated a couple of weeks ago in our seminary for a day. Uh, we enjoyed having you there. We want you to feel comfortable about coming back and visiting again. Uh, and anything we can do for you, please let us know. You know, it's unfortunate that we have this geographical distance between the two schools. Uh, and I think that in some ways prevents some camaraderie that we would have. Uh, but uh, I really want to work on that. And I look forward to seeing some of you down there. Sometime just stop into the seminary. If you want to sit in a class or two, please come in and join us. We'd love to see you there. Let's have a word of prayer before we look into God's Word today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the words of the songs that we sang a moment ago. The, the call to commitment. The call to obey simply for the sake of, of loving You and showing You how much we care and we want to respond to Your love. Father, I pray that You would uh, be with us now as we look at the life of Solomon and we consider a, a very delicate issue, uh, an issue that's close to our hearts today uh, as we look around us. Father, it's my prayer that uh, You allow me to speak your word this morning. Pray that you would challenge all of our hearts as we look at your word today. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this is, uh, this is a bit of a kickoff for a men's retreat, but I want you ladies to feel included in this. This message this morning is to you as well. It's not just to the men. Uh, if you look around today, if you look at the church, if you listen to what people are saying around you, you know, people in your classes even, you'll notice that Christians are concerned. They're concerned about the morality issue in the church today. And it's not my purpose this morning to come here and, and to share another story with you about someone who's fallen, someone who's stumbled. Um, my purpose is in asking the question, now what do we do? What do we do? We who are not pastors. We who are trying to be faithful and to stay close to God in the midst of a, of a difficult time, really. Some of us are asking the question, if the shepherds can't stay true to God in their purity, who can? Who can? And the answer is, we all can. And that's what we want to look at today, is how we can. What are the issues when it comes to sexual immorality of all sorts? What are the issues? The biblical issues. You know, if I might be so bold, I'd like to say that the decisions... The choices that are made to commit adultery are made long before the event, if we can call it that. The decisions are made in people's hearts. The decisions are in place long before anything ever happens, ever truly happens. You see, we're not animals. We're not controlled by our glands. That's ridiculous. I mean, we're not instinctive. God gave us the ability to reason through these situations. He gave us guidelines. He gave us ways of preventing ourselves from falling into immorality of this kind. Decisions are made in our hearts. Jesus said that. Jesus said if a man looks at a woman and lusts after her, it's already said and done. That is, the decision has been made in the person's heart. Remember a couple of years ago, not that long ago, I was sitting where you're sitting. And I remember uh, we had a number of godly pastors come in 
and share with us. And I don't mean to challenge their integrity, their godliness, their uh, ability to communicate God's word at all. They did a great job. But I remember hearing over and over again, don't, 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 don't. I remember others saying, I know what you're doing. I know where you're going and doing these things. I know what you're thinking with regard to sexual matters. I kept saying to myself, please don't tell me don't one more time. Tell me how not to. Tell me how to keep myself from doing these things. That's what I need to know. That's the kind of help I need. I know don't. I know what the Bible says about immorality. Show me. Teach me how not to do these things. Help me to be a good decision maker. That's what I was asking. And that's my desire this morning, is to share with you those issues. We're going to forget about the don't. You know the don't. The don'ts. You know what you're not supposed to do. Let's talk about how you can prevent yourself from doing these things. Well, the first question we have to ask, since we're dealing with issues of the heart, is what is a heart? I mean, we all know it's that organ in our bodies that, that pumps blood, but that's not what the Bible is talking about most of the time when it talks about the heart. I have a friend, a colleague, who says that the heart is a believer's mission control center. It's that little pocket within the individual Christian that sort of dictates all that goes on behaviorally. It's a little thing. It's a kernel, a germ, but it controls big things. And a heart left uncontrolled, unguided, can make a mess of the rest of the person. Well, my heart is where I think. My heart is where I feel. But my heart is where I make decisions, most importantly, based on what I think and what I feel. You see, that's where we get into trouble. That's where we go awry. And it's with that that I'd like to turn to the book of 1 Kings this morning, chapter 2. And I would like for us to look at the life of Solomon. Solomon loved God. You know, we're not going to even question that. Solomon loved God. First uh, Kings chapter 3 tells us that Solomon loved God. But you know, all the love for God in the world didn't help Solomon in his hour of truth. And watch this one. All of the intellect, all of the wisdom, all of the answers in the world didn't help Solomon when it came to his moment of truth. Solomon fell away from the Lord very strongly and very quickly. Not because he wasn't the wisest man that ever lived, not because he had never loved God, but because he made some very bad decisions. Decisions that weren't necessarily immoral or sin in and of themselves, but they were bad decisions nonetheless. 1 Kings chapter 2. In 1 Kings chapter 2, we see Solomon's dad, David, mind you, an adulterer, a murderer at one time, but one who had come clean in his relationship to God. One who had been forgiven by God. But we've got to keep in mind that this is the man that calls his son to his bedside as he's getting ready to die. David says, come, come to my side, son. Come to my side. He says, son, be strong. Be strong. And show yourself to be a man. He wasn't saying, show yourself to be courageous and powerful physically. 
He was saying, show yourself to be strong in your walk with God, because that's how he qualifies what he said in verse 3. Keep his charge, keep his commandments, and so on. You see, David knew what a man's heart was like. David knew how quickly a man's heart could go awry. And David wanted to warn his son to be king in Israel. He wanted to warn his son about the things that could captivate his heart, just like they had captivated David's heart. So David warned Solomon about the things that he could fall into. He told him to take care of some some last-minute details in the last moments of David's life. David said, be strong. Make good choices, is what he's saying. Choose to follow God. Don't make bad decisions, Solomon. Stay close to God. Don't let your heart go awry. But you know, one chapter, and I'm not sure how many years later, we read very sadly in 1 Kings chapter 3, Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh king of Egypt and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he'd finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. That sounds okay to us. But we have to remember that God had said, do not marry women from the foreign nations. Not that there was anything wrong with marrying a foreigner at all. God said, if you marry daughters or if your daughters marry sons of foreign nations, it won't be long before those daughters and those sons from foreign nations will turn the hearts of your sons and your daughters away from me. That was the problem. But what did Solomon do? Solomon deliberately and willfully chose to marry the daughter of Pharaoh. Which is a rare thing, mind you. I mean, Pharaoh didn't just marry his daughters to anyone. This is probably one of the few times in history that this actually happened. Why would Solomon do that? I mean, we've got to ask that question. Why would Solomon deliberately and willfully disobey God? Solomon was a king. Solomon was facing a lifetime of reigning over a nation of people. And Solomon, I think, said to himself, boy, I've got to pull this thing together. David, my father, was such a good king. He built this empire. He built it strong. And I've got to hold this thing together. How am I going to do this? I need the support of the nations around me. I need the friendship of Pharaoh. That's why, that's why I'll marry Pharaoh's daughter. It was a terrible decision. But I think he meant well in doing it. Strange as that may sound. I don't think he deliberately meant to willfully fall into the kind of sin that would result as a result of this bad, bad decision. This very bad decision. But nonetheless, it happened. And the groundwork was laid for some terrible things to happen in the future. And not only did Solomon marry the daughter of Pharaoh. I mean, that was bad enough. That was one bad decision. But chapter 3 also tells us, in verse 3, Now Solomon loved the Lord. I mean, there it is, just as clear as can be. Walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Well, what was wrong with that? God had said, when you go into that land of Israel, the first thing you are to do is to destroy all the worship centers of the pagan nations who have lived there. Tear up their high places, pull down their altars, destroy their, their idols, destroy everything. Leave no trace of the former religions there. You must do this. But Solomon, again, 
knowingly and willfully chose to sacrifice to God on the high places. Do you see the point of compromise there? Solomon wasn't worshipping the other gods, small g. Solomon chose to worship God on a high place. And there was the disobedience. Solomon did not have to worship God on a high place. It was his choice. And it was a very bad one indeed. It was a bad choice. Well, Solomon had made two bad decisions. One, he married Pharaoh's daughter. Two, he chose to worship God, not the, not the other gods, but he chose to worship God on the high places. And the story will go on of Solomon's life, life now like nothing ever happened. But things are happening behind the scenes very quickly with very disastrous results coming. Well, one day, God appeared to Solomon. He said, Solomon, what can I give you? And Solomon, in the tenderness of his heart, said, Lord, I'm like a child. I don't know how to go out or to come in before these people, this great people Israel. Give me a hearing or an understanding heart so that I might rule this people well. You see, the picture we get here is not one of a, of a rotten, wretched sinner. It's a king who wants to do right. But mind you, a king who has made two bad decisions already. Those things are in place. And the Lord said, you've, you've chosen wonderfully. You've chosen wonderfully. In fact, because you didn't choose to ask for long life, because you didn't choose to ask for riches or the lives of your enemies, I'm going to give you all these things. And then I'm going to give you the heart that you've desired. I'm going to give you the wise and discerning heart, God says in verse 12 of chapter 3. And you know, it didn't take long for Solomon to prove that he had that heart. Every king in the ancient world was supposed to, to show his concern for the weakest members of society, the widows, the orphans, the poor people. The prostitutes were at the bottom of the list, the very bottom. Some people would even deny them a status in society in these days. But along come two prostitutes to Solomon one day with one child. And as they come before Solomon, and he says, I'll hear your case. The one says, we were sleeping together in the same house. We both had our own children. She rolled over on her child, and the child died as a result. Innocent. But then she took her dead child and put it in the place of my living child. And that is my child. And the other woman said, no. Oh, she's wrong. That's my child. She's lying. And Solomon very wisely said to some of his assistants, bring a sword and cut the child in half and give one half to each of the women. And of course, the true mother spoke up and said, no, give, give her the child. The child belongs to her. Let her have the child. I may be the mother, but I don't want to see the child die. And Solomon said, that is the mother. Give her the child. And we often look at that story and we miss the end. The last verse of chapter 3. When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Solomon was a wise man. His people recognized the fact that he was a wise man and that God had gifted him with great wisdom. But all of the wisdom and all of the riches in the world would not keep Solomon's heart from turning away from God. All of the wisdom, all of the riches, would not keep Solomon's heart from turning away from God. 
Well, Solomon began to display his wealth and his wisdom. Uh, you know, David had built a great empire in Israel. Most kings would go out and slaughter the enemy nations, you know, and just level the place. Not David. David said, I'll tell you what, guys. You send me most of your money, most of your gold and most of your silver, and we won't destroy you. We'll let you live. So by the time Solomon came on the scene, the money was just pouring into Jerusalem. And Solomon just stood there with his hands out like this and didn't have to do a thing. Well, Solomon was extremely wealthy. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses alone. I have never seen 40,000 horses in one place. That's incredible. And it says that Solomon displayed his wisdom as well. He wrote 3,000 Proverbs, and we have a few of those in our book of Proverbs today. It says that Solomon wrote 1,005 songs, and only the wise people were allowed to write these things, mind you. We don't have 1,005 songs, but we've got the best one. We've got the song of songs. The song of Solomon is Solomon's best song of all the songs that he wrote. And he wrote it to his true bride, his number one bride, the first one, not the ones that came later. See, see, Solomon started out well. He started out loving God. He started out with a heart wholly devoted to God. But those two bad decisions were eating away at him were chipping away at his integrity and his morality. Well, Solomon decided to build the temple finally. I mean, there was no temple. That's why he sacrificed on the high places. He wasn't right in doing that, but uh, there was no temple. And uh, didn't spare anything. All of the most precious woods, all of the most precious gems, gold, silver. I mean, Solomon didn't spare anything. Solomon gave it all for the temple. His father David had even stockpiled some of the goods because, you know, God said... David, you can't build this temple. You have blood on your hands. Your son Solomon will have to build it in your place. Well, the day came. Solomon called in all the craftsmen, the very best of the ancient world, and they built that temple, that beautiful temple. Uh, and it took Solomon and all the craftsmen and hundreds of thousands of people working on this temple seven years to build the temple and 13 years to build Solomon's own house. Do you get the picture? The pure heart, the tender heart, the loving heart of this king was now looming very large and getting very proud. And you see, Solomon became more concerned about Solomon's exploits now than God's reputation. Solomon was falling away little by little. Two decisions chipping away. Well, God knew what was happening. God knew that Solomon was falling away and he was about to warn him. But I think we need to listen to some of the words of Solomon that he spoke, that he preached to his own people at the time they dedicated the temple. You know, the dedication of the temple was a wonderful time. We're in chapter 8. Uh, the temple dedication lasted for seven days and uh, they feasted and they marveled and they had great celebration for a week. And the priests went down to get the Ark of the Covenant, which had been down in the city of David for a long time. You know, it had been a tent, a goat's hair tent. And the priests brought that Ark of the Covenant up into the temple. And the trumpets played and the people shouted praises and, and great offerings were made. Uh, hundreds of thousands of animals were sacrificed. I mean, it was a big barbecue that day. Well, it all looked pretty good. 
Now, when Solomon uh, was right at the head of the pack and singing God's praises that day. And you know, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, the cloud came down, the cloud that had led them through the wilderness. And it rested right up on top of the Ark of the Covenant, now in the temple. I mean, everything was in place. Israel was at its highest point in history that it had been and that it ever would be. This was a marvelous time. But something tragic was happening. The heart of the king was being chipped away at. And it wasn't long. And it wouldn't be long before the king's heart would ruin everything. Everything. Solomon, on that festive day, got up before his own people and he said, in chapter 8, verses 56 and following, Solomon said, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to His people, Israel. According to all that He he promised, not one word has failed of all His good promise, which He promised through Moses His servant. May the Lord our God be with us as He was with our fathers. May He not leave us or forsake us. And notice these words in verse 58, that He may incline our hearts to Himself. It's the heart of a man that's eroding away that's saying this. And notice especially verse 60. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no one else. Solomon is virtually denying the existence of other gods. And then comes the saddest verse of all. Verse 61. Let your heart therefore, and these are the important words, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in His statutes, to keep His commandments as at this day. Let your heart be wholly devoted to the Lord God. And Solomon's heart was not. And in the next chapter, God appears to Solomon the second time. Remember the first time, He said, Solomon, I'll give you what you want, just tell me. Not this time. This time it was, remember, I told you what will happen if you turn your heart away from me to other gods. I will tear this kingdom from your hands. And it won't be long before this kingdom will erode away. And because of your heart, one person's heart, this kingdom will be destroyed. I really don't know what Solomon thought at that moment. You know, the heart is a deceitful thing, the Bible tells us. I mean, we can even deceive ourselves in this way. But the two infectious diseases were already in place in Solomon's heart. Solomon had heart disease. Sacrificing on the high places to God, sure. Marrying foreign gods and he's going to multiply hundreds of them in a short time. Yeah. These things are going to destroy the heart of the king. Well, almost as if nothing was going on, the queen of Sheba comes to town and you know she sees all of Solomon's wealth and Solomon's wisdom and the Bible says it took her breath away. Literally, or figuratively, she died. She was so stunned by what she saw. She didn't really die, of course. But the Queen of Sheba couldn't, couldn't imagine that one king could have all of this wisdom and all of this wealth. I mean, it was too much to believe. And she said, God has been good to Israel in giving you to Israel as Israel's king. And then comes chapter 11, where it all comes home to roost. All of the wisdom, all of the wealth in the world that was so recognized could not keep Solomon's heart toward God. 
You know, I think we would think and we would say to ourselves, you know, if I only had this much money, then I'd be satisfied. And I wouldn't look anywhere else for my thrills and my, my kicks and so on. Or, if I had this much wisdom, I could figure anything out and I could sort of get around these difficult and tempting situations. Wrong. That's not enough. That is not enough. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, we're quoting uh, Exodus 34 here, you shall not associate with them, neither shall they associate with you. For they will surely, notice this, turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. That word held fast there is the same word that Moses uses way back in the book of Deuteronomy when he says, this is what your relationship to God is supposed to be like. You are to cling to God. You are to cleave to God. You are to love God more than you love anything. And that is the only way that your heart will remain pure. Solomon held fast to these in love. Verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives, notice again, turned his heart away. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not... And these are sad words. His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God... Where have you heard that before? That was Solomon's own sermon at the dedication of the temple. Remember he said to his own people, you must have a heart wholly dedicated and devoted to God. It means literally a heart complete with God. But Solomon didn't. And look what's going to happen. Verse 5. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the, of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Then Solomon, and notice this, built a high place for Chemosh. See, worshiping God on the high places, it was such an easy half step to go from worshiping God on a high place to building a high place for the gods of these foreign nations. You have to know who this god is, Chemosh. Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. These gods demand child sacrifice. See, they weren't playing games here. This was serious stuff. When the king's heart turned away from God, the people's hearts and the people's children's children, excuse me, went also with the king. How would you like to have someone take your child away and sacrifice that child to a foreign god when you know what he's doing, what the king is doing is wrong? That's what's going on here. It was getting very ugly. Verse 8, Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Once to give him the wisdom that we might think could have kept him from this situation. And the second time to warn him from getting involved in this situation. All of the wisdom, all of the warnings, all of the wealth in the world didn't keep Solomon 
didn't keep his heart toward God. What's the solution? Love God and keep his commandments. And at the end of his life, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, look, there is nothing more to this world than this. To fear God, that's faith, and to keep his commandments. Those are works. Works which follow faith. Because we all will have to give judgment. He rendered judgment before God. What can we learn from Solomon's experience? And it's not our purpose to point our finger at him and say, sinful Solomon. We just want to learn how not to allow this to happen to us. Solomon stopped loving God and started loving other gods. And they took his heart away. But in the midst of all of that, the two bad decisions, two decisions that seemed to be really quite small, quite helpful at the time. I mean, in Solomon's mind, I think they were good decisions when he made them. But look at the outcome. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, every last one of us, students, teachers, uh, administrators, the church as a whole, is how, how are we going to guard from a situation like this? We are going to have to love God. You see, all of the don'ts in the world, don't do this, don't do that, they're not going to do anything in the end. We know what the don'ts are. What we need is a love for God, a love that will not break down when the moment of temptation comes, and it will, and there will be plenty of them. And I share with you in sadness, great sadness, uh, a story of a friend. When I got to seminary, I got a job in a barbershop, and everybody talked about this great guy who had worked in this barbershop full of unsaved people, and what a great testimony he had had among those unsaved people. And all I ever heard was this guy's name over and over and over again. I thought, this guy is larger than life. I could never fill his shoes. I mean, I had never even met him. He graduated from seminary. He was gone. He was pastoring at the time. But all through seminary, I heard about the student body president. I heard about the great godly man. I heard about the straight-A student. I heard about this one individual who did it all, who had it all in terms of giftedness. I thought, boy, if I could be like this guy, if I could just be like this guy. And I heard one day that this fellow, and rightly, had become a state representative of a major conservative evangelical denomination. And I thought, what a godly man. What a godly man. What a godly example for me. What a, in a small sense of the word, maybe very small, a hero. Someone whose steps might be worth emulating. And then with great sadness, I heard one day that he had fallen into adultery. And it just bugged the daylights out of me. And I, had, I only had one question. I said, how? How in the world could this happen? And I'll never forget the, the response. The response was, it happened with his running partner. And I said, maybe that's a technical term for a person with whom you're having an affair. Oh, no, no, no. You don't understand. It happened with his running partner, his jogging partner. I said, what? A state representative of a conservative evangelical denomination running, jogging with a woman who's not his wife? I mean, you don't wear full fur coats and, and hats and mittens when you jog and boots. He was opening himself to great temptation. It was a bad decision. It was an extremely bad decision to do that. And I don't know where along the way this happened. And by the way, I don't look down my nose at him. I, I grieve for him. 
My heart is broken for this man. Uh, because I know his heart is broken. And the heart of his family is broken. And the heart of his church is broken. And on and on it goes. Some of us are going to be sad for a long time. Good decisions. It starts with good decisions long before the event. It starts in the heart long before it ever extends to other parts of the human body. That's where you check it, right here, right in the heart. What we need to pray, all of us, is that God will guard our hearts. We don't have to, for a minute, believe that these things have to happen to us. They don't. But we have to have a love affair with God that will not give up for anything. Not for anyone else, not for anything else. Because all the money, all of the wealth, all the popularity, everything that the world can offer won't keep you, won't keep me from failure, moral failure, in that moment of truth. I know who I'm talking to. I'm not talking to people who are married. But within five years, many of you will be married. Now is the time to prepare to work through these issues. Now is the time to repair your hearts. You need to guard your hearts. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's not our purpose this morning to look down our noses at anyone. We just want to learn. We just want to understand what it is going to take to keep us on track. Father, help us not to look back now. Help us not to look back at what other people uh, have done and, and at the way that they're suffering as a result of it. Help us to look forward. But help us to look forward with strong hearts, with hearts, in the words of Solomon, that are wholly devoted to you. Father, help us to guard our hearts. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.